0: Well, uh, for some of you, this might be the most controversial thing I've said in a sermon at Town Church. I know that's a bit of a risky way to start, but I don't get Star Wars. (laughs) I know, I'm sorry to some of you. I didn't see Star Wars till I was maybe about 20 around the time of the prequel trilogy being released. Not that I understood what that meant or where it fell. And I watched with a couple of friends um, that clearly knew it well, one of whom I'm convinced was probably fed it intravenously from birth. It seemed to be the air that he breathed. He knew it inside out, and I didn't. I sat watching the film while others around me were saying things like, ah, it makes so much sense. Ah, That should have been obvious. And I was sat there thinking, I've got no idea what's going on. I I don't understand. It obviously wasn't the first one. So it clearly started at the wrong point, maybe. And to make things more confusing for me, it wasn't episode one. Or maybe it was, I'm not sure. I think it was. And there'd be moments around the room where someone would say exactly that, oh, it makes so much sense of what happened or what we saw. And I felt like I was watching in another language. I just didn't get it. And so I didn't warm to it. It felt like there was so much information external to the narrative that you needed to know. Now, what's amazing about Genesis 1 The beginning of the most mind blowing narrative in history, there is so little that relies on information outside of the text. It's, dare I say, quite straightforward. Don't get me wrong, it's mind blowing. Absolutely mind blowing. But it's straightforward. (laughs) Don't worry. You might have loads of questions as you read through Genesis chapter 1. Loads of questions that are how questions. Well, how did dry ground appear? How did land produce vegetation? There's lots of questions of, well, that is mind blowing. How on earth did that happen? But there's not much that relies on information outside of the text. So we're going to read it. We're going to read Genesis chapter 1, verses 1. 27, Joe's going to come up and read it for us. But all I'm going to do as Joe reads is I'm going to slightly interrupt him and ask the four questions that stuck out particularly for me as I read through. Questions that I think ask a question that is external to the text. And hopefully you'll see why that sets us up for where we're going. So Joe's going to read for us. Please do read along. That would really help us. Genesis chapter 1. Confusingly, it's on page three, um, not page one of these red Bibles. In the beginning, God... Great, stop there. Question number one, external to the text, I think, what was God doing in the beginning? Thank you, Joe, carry on. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, question two. It's not going to be like this the whole way through. Question two, why did God create...
1: And there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky... Be gathered it to one place, and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry land, dry ground land, and the gathered <coughs> waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. the fourth day and god said let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky so god created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind and god saw that it was good the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said,
0: let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Okay, hold on there. And third question, thank you, Joe. Third question, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Hold on. In the beginning, God... We're not told about anyone else, are we? So, so who is that? Who's God talking about when he says us is question three. Please do carry on, Joe. Let us make mankind in our image, in our
1: likeness, so that they
0: may rule over the
1: fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them.
0: Great, thank you. Uh, Question four. What does it mean to be created in his image? We don't know much about God. So what does it mean to be created in his image? That's the fourth question. Thank you, Joe. And do grab a seat so there we go four questions that are external to the straightforward information we can read what was God doing in the beginning it says in the beginning God so what was he doing then before that first verse second question why did God create if God was there at the beginning why did he feel the need to create what was the purpose what was the reason question three who's God talking about when he says us he says us In our image, in the plural, who's he talking about when he says us? And question four, what does it mean to be created in his image? I hope, as you look at those four questions, you'd agree that they're pretty basic, simple questions of the text as we read through it. For the most part, it's a pretty straightforward thing to read. It's really complex. There's lots of questions of what's going on. But there's not more information that you need outside of what you read. It's pretty straightforward in describing what is going on. But there's four big questions of what's going on outside of the text. How can we be helped to see what that means? And we've touched on answers to them in the last two weeks. But my hope is that as we revisit them this afternoon, we'll find the answers to these questions particularly give us a piece of the jigsaw to question four, which is, of course, the question that tees up our whole series. What does it mean to be created in his image? See, as we look at how Genesis 1 raises questions that we can then address and answer through the whole of the rest of the Bible, as it begins to answer, then we can be left with the profound truth of what it really means to be human. So question one, I'm going to lump with question three. What's God doing in the beginning? And who's God talking about when he says us? You might remember we saw last week, John 17, chapter, uh, John chapter 17, verse 24. Father, you loved me before the foundation of the world. We see from the rest of the Bible, there, at the beginning, Father, Son and Spirit were loving each other. God eternally gives of himself to others. It's an attribute. He doesn't need us to be able to love. He doesn't need us to be able to love. Before the creation of the world, God was loving. You could read through John's Gospel. It would be a brilliant place to start if you're coming to Christianity to work out what it says about God. And you could read it just through the lens of what it tells us of the Trinity. God in the Godhead. God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The most repetition is of the love between the Father and the Son. Here's what one writer, Mike Reeves, writes. He finds his very identity, his fatherhood, in loving and giving out his life and being to the Son. This is what uh, two sentences from John chapter 3 say, verse 34 and 35. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit the father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands do you see in those verses the spirit brings sharp clarity on the overflowing love that exists between the persons of the godhead look this is this is really hard even for the most knowledgeable theologians to understand and write down It's a mystery. But it's almost like the Holy Spirit is the love personified, found in a person of the Godhead. Here's what C.S. Lewis writes on the Holy Spirit. You know that among human beings, when they get together in a family or a club or a trades union, people talk about the spirit of that family. Uh, Sorry, people talk about the spirit of that family club or trade union. They talk about its spirit because the individual members, when they're together, do really develop particular ways of talking and behaving which they wouldn't have if they were apart. It is as if a sort of communal personality came into existence. Of course it isn't a real person, it's only rather like a person. But that's just one of the differences between God and us what grows out of the joint life of the father and son is a real person is in fact the third of the three persons who are God look it's pretty mind-blowing the more you look at the trinity maybe the more we are out of our depths rightly because God is God and we are not but look at verse 2 in Genesis chapter 1 the Holy Spirit is there And he is a member of the Godhead. See, we know for sure, because of what God's word says to us, what is God doing? (laughs) He is loving. God eternally gives of himself to others. So question three, who is us? Who's the us God talks about? Remember verse 26, God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. That is the loving Godhead, the Trinity. In John 1, we see that clearly. Jesus is called the Word. John goes on to declare that this same Word in verse 14 of chapter 1 became flesh And dwelt among us. The Word of God is in Genesis 1 and is no other than the Lord Jesus Himself, the Son of God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are there in the first few sentences of God's creation narrative. Well, question two why did God create? Why did God create? Possibly the most important answer to this question is he didn't need to. He didn't need to. If God eternally gives of himself to others, as displayed in the Trinity, it's an essential attribute. It's not dependent on anything or anyone else. So it's not like he needed to create the world to be loving. He didn't need to create us in order to be loving. And yet, God created as an overflow, as an expression of his character. He eternally gives of himself to others. God creates because of his love, for his glory. Here's what another writer, David Gibson, writes. It is a profound truth more profound than we realize that the love of the Father for the Son and the love of the Son for the Father is the same love of the Father and the Son for us. The fellowship between the persons of the Trinity is a fellowship we are drawn into where the love bestowed on us is a love that already existed without us. We did not create that love or call it forth because of something special in us. No, it was love that already existed without us, that we are invited to share it. Love given to us. And so the love of the Lord Jesus for his disciples displays his very heart towards us in his desire to be with us. Why did God create? Because he is loving. Well, question four, what does it mean to be created in his image? Obviously, that's the question that's teed up our whole series. It's what we're looking at each week. And there's much we can learn. And there's much we can learn as we look at the text in Genesis 1. We'll see next week how we reflect God's creativity in how he made the universe. But for now, we'll concentrate on our time on the implications of what we've already seen today, on the love that we see present in the Godhead. Because we imitate the communicable attribute of God loving. A communicable attribute of God is one that is replicable or communicated to humanity. So in this instance, God is all-loving... And to a lesser degree, in a finite way, we are made loving. The context we're given to live out that nature is first to love God and then to love others. That's the perfect picture, our blueprint. We're made loving like God. That's why Jesus says in Mark 12... Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. We're made to give of ourself. That's the blueprint that we all bear. That is how we were made. And yet, I'm sure if you're anything like me, we quickly jump to feeling guilty as we think about that. Is that really what I'm like? But before we get there, just notice that is what we're like. We're made loving. There's something beautiful about the way that we are created in the image of God, made like God, loving in our very nature. And yet, we know all too closely the feeling of conflict in us. That blueprint has become corrupted. It's what the Bible calls sin. It means that we take the blueprint of being loving and we try to love ourselves first, before God and before others. And that's not the way we are made. It's not the way we're designed. And there's a reason that that kind of self-love leaves us feeling empty. Almost not quite alive. Because we're made to be giving of ourselves in relationships. Maybe as I say that, maybe as you saw the title for this week, Made Loving... Your mind jumped towards romantic relationships or even nuclear family relationships. But you see, it's even more fundamental than that. We don't just love because we sometimes find ourselves in the context which it's best to love, we love because it is how we are designed. We love because we were made loving. We love because we have a blueprint to give of ourselves to others. The first and fundamental context for that is not in romantic relationships. The first is our relationship with God and then to the others around us. Then, of course, in every other context, that is the best way of life. That's why Jesus' command is that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbour as yourself. Because he knows what it is to be human. He knows that it's the very instruction that will give us the most fulfilment in life. He knows that it is the very nature that we're created with. And when we don't, And when we can't, it's almost like we don't quite feel human. It's why the pandemic was so damaging for many people. It took away the context for many people to give of themselves in relationships. Perhaps through the pandemic and through the hangover of Zoom and working from home. And all those things that have come about you've thought, I need to be with others. I need to be helped. I'm not made to be self-sufficient. I'm not made to be isolated. And of course that's true. But maybe even more fundamental than that, as we look at what it means to be made loving, like God... You need those contexts to be able to give of yourself to others. It's not just physical separation that highlights that damage. You can be around people all day. You can be in relationships. And you can be so self-obsessed, so self-absorbed, so self-serving that actually it leaves you feeling not quite human. It leaves you empty and unsatisfied. Have you ever wondered? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever wondered why? You can do exactly what you want. You can do it exactly the way you want to do it. And yet, it doesn't satisfy. You can get exactly what you thought you wanted... And feel empty. It's like something's missing. Because we are made in God's image, He eternally gives of Himself to others. The story of the Bible is simple when you look at it through that lens. It's about being restored to perfectly love God and perfectly love others. Because that's who we are, made loving. The storyline of the Bible, as we've heard, is one of rescue and redemption. Let me read a couple of verses from 1 John, chapter 4, coming up on the screen. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins dear friends since God so loved us we also ought to love one another no one has ever seen God but if we love one another God lives in us and his love is made complete in us look at verse 10 just have a look at verse 10 there on the screen here's the rescue oh I'm sorry I didn't put the numbers um, let me read it out again so it's clear. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Here's the rescue clear in these verses. Jesus came as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. His perfect life sacrificed to cover over the sin of Of anyone who would trust in him. That's what it means to atone. To make right. The perfect loving nature of Jesus. Is swapped. For the imperfect. Self loving behaviour of ours. He saves us. From the right result of our rebellion. That is Jesus' rescue but. But look, it's not just a smash and grab rescue story. Look at the redemption for those who trust in Jesus. Read with me from verse 9 again, I'll read. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. We might live through him. Do you see the claim? the claim of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus, we might have real life. We might truly know what it is to be human. We might know, have and experience real life. We've talked in the last few weeks, there's the indicative, verse 9, you find true life in Jesus. That is what happens. When you trust in Jesus... You have real life. Well, what does it mean to have real life? What does that mean for us? Here's the imperative, verse 11. Love one another. Just there at the bottom. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. That is what it will look like. That is the life lived out Because of the new life you have in Jesus, you're to live as who you now are. You're to live a changed life that is a life of love, that gives of yourself to others. Love is something that draws us out of yourself. There's a self-forgetfulness about love. Where do we see that most clearly? In the person of Jesus. Who for the sake of others endured the cross as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. But maybe as you hear that, as you hear the prospect of real life experienced in Jesus that we could genuinely and truly live for others to love others. Maybe that excites you. You genuinely want the experience of the fulfilment of life that way. Life as we were designed to live, where we truly give of ourselves to others and feel and know and experience that fulfilment. Well, the reality for the person who trusts in Jesus is that we are being transformed into the image of his son. And so we are becoming more and more perfectly human with each day. But I know that will feel like a slog sometimes. And you see what's even more exciting than this. Here's the arc of the story for someone who trusts in Jesus. This is how it goes. You were created, made loving in his image. You fell in sin, the perfect blueprint became distorted we don't love as we should if you trust in Jesus you have been rescued as Jesus became an atoning sacrifice for your sin you have been redeemed so that in Jesus you can begin to live a life of love and one day you will be made complete. Here's what it says, a chapter before in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Here's the awesome fact. One day Jesus will return. If you've been raised to new life with him, you will be with him. You will be like him. You will see him with absolute clarity. And so you will love exactly as you were designed to. You will live the most fulfilled life. That is what our eternity holds if we trust in Jesus. The experience of being perfectly human. I wonder, will that truth, will that future shape how you live today? To live in the power that is in you because of Jesus, truly human, made loving. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are loving. You didn't need to create. You didn't need us to be loving. That is what you're like. And you show it so clearly. Thank you that we see that most clearly as we look at the Lord Jesus who gave of himself for the sake of others. Please would you help us to cling to new life in him and so live a transformed life now until the day that he returns. Amen well we're going to sing Uh, so please do stand if you're able to and we're going to sing of just that the love that we see present in the godhead come to life in us because of the lord jesus so let's stand and sing